gospel according to St. Luke, the 16th chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. Then Jesus said to the disciples, there was a rich man who had a manager, and charges were brought to him that this man was squandering his property. So he summoned him and said to him, what is this that I hear about you? Give me an accounting of your management, because you cannot be my manager any longer. Then the manager said to himself, what will I do now that my master is taking the position away from me? I'm not strong enough to dig, and I am ashamed to beg. I have decided what to do so that when I am dismissed as a manager, people may welcome me into their homes. So summoning his master's debtors one by one, he asked the first, how much do you owe my master? He answered, a hundred jugs of oil. He said to him, take your bill, sit down quickly and make it 50. Then he asked another, and how much do you owe? He replied, a hundred containers of wheat. He said to him, take your bill and make it 80. And his master commended the dishonest manager because he acted shrewdly. For the children of this age are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than are the children of light. And I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of dishonest wealth so that when it is gone, they may welcome you into the eternal homes. Whoever is faithful in a very little is faithful also in much. And whoever is dishonest in a very little is dishonest also in much. If then you have not been faithful with the dishonest wealth, who will entrust to you the true witches? And if you have not been faithful with what belongs to another, who will give you what is your own? No slave can serve two masters, for a slave will either hate the one and love the other, or be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. The assembly may be seated. Grace and peace to you from God, our Creator, and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. One of the most common questions I get asked is, Pastor, if you weren't a pastor, what would you do? Which is, I'm going to take it as a subtle hint maybe that I should start looking for another vocation, but that's okay, right? It's a good question. It's the adult version of what do you want to be when you grow up? Good question. What do I want to be when I grow up? I've really marveled the last year or so at people who work with their hands, right? Skilled laborers, right? Carpenters. It's amazing what they can make and what they can build, but I don't trust my hands anywhere near a saw, so that's out. I've thought about opening my own toy store. The problem is there's a difference between a toy store and a toy museum, right? I want to keep the toys. I don't want to sell them. That's not going to work. Then, you know, sometimes I'm like, well, maybe like a park ranger or something. But then I realize I'm not the most outdoorsy guy in the world, shockingly enough, but maybe there's some tours they need some humor sprinkled into, and then I'm your guy, right? But this idea of a vocational pivot is really important this morning because it's really sort of the, the framework of this parable that Jesus tells, this man, this wealth manager who has been notified of his impending dismissal. As it turns out, this guy isn't terribly good at his job. And so he now is getting his resume together to post on Indeed. And he is considering his options. So he's talking it out for himself. And he says to himself, man, I'm not terribly strong and digging ditches isn't going to be my thing. And man, I'm really, really proud, so begging isn't going to work either. And apparently those are the only options available, neither of which are going to work for him. So what does he do? He makes a third option. He gets creative. And he decides his plan to move forward 
is to depend literally on Social Security. Because here's what he's going to do. He makes up his mind. He says, I'm going to go to the people who owe money to me, right? The debtors for whom accounts I am in charge of. And I'm going to start forgiving some of their debt. So he calls them in, and the first person, he forgives 50% of their debt. The next guy calls in, he forgives 20% of their debt. Can you imagine ever just forgiving debt randomly without any other reason? Yeah, I can't either. It'd be crazy. But anyway, he does it, right? And he does it because in the back of his mind, he knows that if he can do that, he's going to ingratiate himself to these people so he can go couch surfing when he no longer has a job, right? So he gets himself ready. He creates this social network, and now he's ready to face his owner. The owner shows up. And if he wasn't already upset at this guy not doing a good job, how do you think the owner feels now that he's just like forgiving debt all over the place? Well, as it turns out, the owner comes in and commends him, commends him for his dishonest management and the way that he acted shrewdly in this moment. What? What kind of a business is this guy running if that's how he reacts to this moment? Can you imagine? But even more amazing is when Jesus then kind of breaks into the story and moralizes it for us and essentially says to us, be like this dishonest manager of wealth. Be shrewd like this dude. Jesus says, make friends for yourself by means of dishonest wealth so that when it's gone, they may welcome you into an eternal home. Wow. What a terrible text to have to preach on, Pastor, right? Ooh, let's try. I think the first thing I want to say, and this is a good reminder for us all, Money is not good or bad. Wealth is not honest or dishonest. Now, people can do good or bad things. People can be honest or dishonest. But, you see, the thing is, the money itself, the wealth itself, isn't the problem here, right? And sometimes what we do as people is we create systems of money or economic systems that are themselves dishonest or perhaps not so good, at least not for all players involved. And certainly this is the case in our parable today. First century Galilee occupied by Rome. Essentially the system we're glimpsing into is a land ownership system where wealthy landowners are charging people crazy high amounts of rent with compounding interest so as to squeeze them off of their ancestral lands. There are people with immense amount of wealth taking advantage of those with little to nothing yet to offer in this situation. And sadly, throughout history, we have examples of dishonest wealth. We have it in our own country. Think about the African slave trade that lasted over three centuries, the lasting vestiges we still experience today an economic system where 10 to 12 estimated million people were brought from their homelands to work for nothing. Their homes, and in many ways, their own personhood taken from them. Today, we still have broken economic systems. 
We still have people who are, who are subject to predatory loan practices. We have people whose wages are lagging so far behind the cost of living that they can't afford to live even when they do work full-time. This, dear people, is what sometimes is so amazing to me about Scripture. Scripture can speak to things that didn't even yet exist in ways that feel like it's written right for it. This was written 2,000 years ago, and it resonates as loudly today as it did back then. Scripture transcends time in that way, and we need to listen, therefore. Listen to what's going on. And if we listen closely, we'll hear at the center of it all relationships. Relationships stand at the center of this. Jesus talks about the relationships between us and one another. The whole admonishment today is to go and make friends. Maybe by dishonest wealth, but go and make friends, right? Go form relationships. And at the end, the very last words, who are you going to be in relationship with? Are you going to be in relationship with God, the God of Abraham, the God who, who, from whom you can experience true wealth? Or are you going to be in relationship with worldly wealth, this thing called mammon, right? And this is really important. You see, this man here decides to act shrewdly. He takes a step back from this economic system. And he considers his role in it, and he decides that something has to change. Something is going to change. He sees the crushing economic impact of the system from which he and the owner have benefited from. He sees it, and he knows that if he forgives even just a little bit, it can completely change his relationship with these debtors who are beholden to him. He sees an opportunity for relationship here. He doesn't change the entire system, but he changes his relationship with it, and therefore the people who are impacted by it. The debtors, in other words, are no longer a means to an end, the end being wealth, but the debtors are now a means to something greater, relationship. Because Jesus reminds us, not if, but when your wealth runs out, you're going to want to have access to an eternal home. And it begins with relationships. And so the big question at the center of it all is, what God or what gods are we in relationship with? And I've already kind of set it out. On the one hand, you have the God of Abraham. And on the other hand, you have this thing that was referred to in the footnotes as mammon, right? The personification of the pursuit of wealth by any means necessary. Martin Luther, in his own time, some 16th century, you know, 1600 years later, writes, it's a simple choice that people make all the time. He says this in his large catechism as he talks about the first commandment, right? Martin Luther says the choice is simple. You know what the choice is that we make? He says mammon is the most common god on earth. Even in Luther's time, he saw that wealth and the pursuit by any means is the most common god that we serve. Or perhaps the most common god that we are enslaved to. Our parable, our parable, all people involved are enslaved to the system. The owner 
only has worldly wealth because of the system and nothing greater. This man here, this manager of the wealth, is enslaved to the system, and if he's not a part of it, he's got to figure out a way to exist outside of it. The people in debt are enslaved to this system because they're being crushed by it. A system that serves mammon, that serves wealth and wealth alone. And it is a dishonest system. It's a dishonest system that takes advantage of the lower class for the benefit of those that simply have more. And only, only at the point when priorities of relationships rise to the top does something change. Only when wealth isn't all that matters does this man have true freedom from this system. Indeed, he sees this brokenness. He recognizes it, and perhaps he sees for the first time that the greatest sin of all is when we value production over the people who produce. And we do it all the time. We value the production of people, not the people themselves. And today is an opportunity for us to step back and to begin to value those relationships once more because, dear people, we are all part of these systems. And today is not the day where I'm going to stand up here and tell you this is how we break free of it. Remember, economist was not one of the jobs I said I was capable of doing. We're not here to solve that problem, but maybe Jesus gives us a glimpse into the kingdom of God, gives us an opportunity to start to consider what it can look like to break free from the enslavement to this thing. And it begins with relationship. It begins with recognizing that relationships are the most valuable thing that we have, that they transcend this world and any amount of wealth in it. And it's true, right? Money can't buy friends. Today, this guy uses his money to try to buy some level of relationship just to get out of the system. But at the end of the day, what we have is each other. And what we need to do is we need to learn to invest in one another as God is invested in you. Because God is invested in each and every one of you because each and every one of you bears the divine image of God. You carry within you a certain divinity, a godness, a gift to share with those around you. And the question we have to ask ourselves, are we going to use those gifts for our own benefit and our own benefit alone, pursuing this thing that is not everlasting? Or are we going to start using our gifts in ways that lift other people up, that form relationships, that create a home that is eternal? Dear people, we can do that. If we trust each other and if we recognize the divinity in each other, we will learn to break free of these systems and instead buy in to the system that Jesus presents today an economy of grace, an economy of love, an economy of equality, where all people are valued for who they are rather than what they can provide. And then, and only then, if we are able to do that, will we know the true joy of God's kingdom.
Thanks be to God. Amen.